Hey, what's up, guys? This is Gavin Shaw of the Locked On Knicks podcast, and today I am joined by Stacey Patton of Pod Strickland and the Believe Knicks podcast to talk about a two-win weekend for the New York Knicks, a big comeback against the Miami Heat, and a nail-biter against the Detroit Pistons. The majority of our conversation in this first of two parts centers around Emmanuel Quickly, his incredible performance against the Miami Heat, and how it's a microcosm of his massive jump as a player. All that and more right now on Locked On Knicks. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. I wanted to thank you for making Locked On Knicks your first listen today. And every day we're now available on all platforms, including on YouTube. You know that uh, if you're seeing my smiling face. And uh, today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered the season more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. And as promised, I am joined by the fantastic. He used to star in this like little documentary film called Eddie. I don't know if anyone saw in the '90s. He took took a few years out of the game, but he's very much back in the basketball world. It is Stacy Patton. He is the co-host of Pod Strickland on Mondays with with the legendary Schwinnie Pooh. He also hosts the Believe Knicks podcast with the fantastic Matthew Miranda a couple times a week. Um, yeah, Stacy, uh, welcome back to the show. It's been a minute, man. Uh, hope you're doing well. I assume you're doing well because your guy, Emmanuel Quickly, has just been incredible of late. And that is exactly where I want to start uh, by just letting you go whatever direction you want, just telling everyone how right you were or, or just basking in the glory of, of, of the guy who just dropped 16 in the fourth quarter against the Miami Heat and has generally been masterful for the last five or six weeks. Yeah, I mean, I think... Um... Yeah, I mean, I've I've been pretty high on him. I will say that there's things he's doing right now that are surpassing, not my highest expectations of him, but to some of the some of the advanced point guard stuff. Um, and I'm not going to do the uh, oh, I thought he wasn't a point guard thing again. But um, I've probably tweeted that a bunch of times because uh, the Miami game was the peak of it. I'll talk about that in a minute. But I think uh, even earlier this season, he went through a brutal shooting slump. Um, and what was interesting to break it down was, um, his pull-up shooting actually was about the same I think Last year he finished at 33%. This year it was 32%. He wasn't taking a ton more pull-ups, but his catch and shoot, I think last year was like 46%. Uh, and he, that created to like, at, I think at the lowest point, like really at the peak of a shooting slump was about 31%, uh, which is not good, but it's also like a lot of that was just wide open threes. And people were talking about, you know, is he struggling adapting to a new role without Derrick Rose? And I was like, you know, the tracking data can be wonky from the NBA, but he's just missing a ton of wide open threes and he's getting them at the same rate as last year. And if you looked at everything else, everything else had improved, right? His assist rate has consistently been over 20 this year. He's at 22%. Last year, I think it was about 16 or 17%, particularly after he moved off ball more with Rose. Um, you know, he wasn't, but as a passer, he'd taken steps. I think his defense has been night and day. Um, I, I think he was a very good defender in college. 
And even last year, you could see that he was um, he was better than some of the other Knicks guards at getting over screens. Like because of kind of his lean frame, that's an advantage he has. Um, but you know, his rotations, he was still adapting. You know, it was normal rookie stuff. This year, he's been arguably one of the Knicks' best team defenders. Certainly, out of the perimeter guys, um, I think Grimes a little bit has a little bit better tools on ball, but he's also had a little bit of that adjustment. Um, even though Grimes is already better than quickly was as a rookie. Yeah. Um, but he improved as a defender, um, you know, can guard legitimately ones and twos. He's even offered sneaky, good rim protection. Yes. Uh, I think a few people have posted about this, but actually for given the volume of shots he's contested, um, he just, he's able to use his length. He's getting a little bit handsy, you know, the little early career Frank Milikina stuff. Um, but, but, you know, that's, that's a trade-off I'll make because he's also using that to, to create more turnovers. So he was doing everything else. What was frustrating was he was doing everything else better. He had improved. But people were calling it a sophomore slump or regression because the shooting was that bad. Um, and then now that the shooting has clicked, it allows you to appreciate everything he's done. And that Miami game was really the peak um, because one, it wasn't against you know the Wizards or like or the you know no disrespect to those teams, but this is this is a team that is on the Mount Rushmore of culture, um, or at least is known that way. You know, maybe I, I don't want to upset anyone who might hate Pat Riley. But the fact is, they have built a consistent winner. Um, you know, something like the Spurs or the Patriots or whatever you want to call it. Um, Spolster is probably, in my estimation, one of the top two coaches in the game right now. Um, they had, they were healthy. They had Bam Adebayo, who is a terrific defender, who calls a ton of problems. Jimmy, obviously, we know about. Lowry, right? And he went yeah. against those guys and came back from 17 down, and it was the way he was doing it. It wasn't just a hot shooting night, uh, although he hit a couple of big ones. I think it was three for eight, which is you know, 37 and a half percent. That's it's a good shooting night, but it's not like, it's not like he was just hot from three. Uh, he was consistently manipulating again, not rookies. He was manipulating Jimmy Butler off ball with his ball fakes, with his eyes, creating lanes, directing traffic, you know, the point guard things that everyone's like, he's not a real point guard. That's where he's really excelled. And I think he's been doing that more all season. Um, and then he's also of late. It seems like he gets to the rim at least once a game now. Um, which may not sound like a lot, um, but um, it's still pretty impressive. Um, I mean, it's, it's still growth from last year when he was pretty much allergic. Uh, and he's and now he's, you know, he's not as predictable with the floater. He could throw a lob. He can kick out. He's throwing more live dribble one-handed passes than he was last year when he would kind of gather. Um, and he's also showed the ability to finish through contact and, and being creative off the glass. And, you know, he doesn't take a lot of attempts at the rim, but he finishes at 60%, which considering his size and he's not like John Moran or something, is, is I, I'd take that if he finishes at 60% and slowly scales that volume up. Yeah. But um, but I'll, I'll shout another uh, article that was re recently written on basketball news. I don't know if you saw this, Gavin. I, it was Ethan, um, I forget his last name. Yeah, he's I mean, a good follower. Yeah. Um, yeah, so Emmanuel Quickly's unusual shot diet can work. Um, I, I can add it on to the tweet later. Um, I'm, I think I've promoted this article three, a few times. He's a, he's a Celtics writer mostly, but um, gave a really fair look. And a lot of it was kind of talking about his pathway. Like he gets as close to the rim as possible without actually taking a lot of layups. Um, and so he shoots a lot of the short mid range, right? So it's not quite taking a floater from the free throw line. It's like, you know, it's kind of in that six to 10 foot range. And there, there was an interesting group of players um, that were up there, right? I think Conley is on the list. If you look at the guys who are taking the most of those shots or the highest percentage, the list is Chris Paul, Marcus Morris, Quickly, Conley, 
Durant, Tyus Jones, Middleton, Booker. And, and Jones and Conley are interesting comps because they are able to shoot enough at the short mid-range where um, and well enough. Uh, Jones at 48%, Conley is at 43% this year, where you know it's enough to keep defenses honest, and that opens up the playmaking. And that opens up maybe some easier opportunities at the rim. And quickly, he's 57% at the rim, which is actually better than Conley is now. Obviously, Conley's older. Yeah. But the point is, there is a pathway to him being a pretty high-level scorer and there's a much better in-depth look. Uh, you know, he talks about how you know the playmaking gets opened up, uh, how IQ can still make that equation work in terms of efficiency if he's hitting his open threes, um, and you know it, it. And then if you add in like the point guard skills he's shown, um, yeah, like it. You know, I think that it, it's it's um, it's it's very important growth, and it shows his work ethic is, is very much unmatched um, on this team, except for maybe another guy named RJ Barrett, who we can talk about later. Um, but the last thing I'll say is, um, you you never want to. I think even Poku has been playing better, for example, right? There's been a lot of young guys late in the seasons for you know not great teams who kind of you'll see this. I've seen this in the past. We saw it with some of the other Knicks young guys too. So you don't yeah. want to lean too much into it, but given what he's shown, I think if you can get a guy like Jalen Brunson, he adds a dimension to the Knicks beyond "quote unquote" being a point guard in his ability to get to the rim and finish at a high level. Right? You yeah. add Colin Sexton or someone like that because he's a good player. But I don't think when you talk about the Knicks need a point guard, and and also judging the results from this season, um, I'm not so quick to say that because, in addition to quickly, they have McBride, they have Rokas Yokubaitis overseas. Like I don't think they need to to accept a, a terrible contract just for the sake of getting a point guard. I think if you can add talent in the form of Brunson or Sexton, and the beauty of Quickly is that he can play on, on or off ball too. So can Deuce. They're both big guys who are defensively versatile and move well without the ball and can shoot. Uh, but I think he provides them some flexibility um, at that position that they frankly have never really had. So anyway, I just talked for a long time, but um, but yeah. No, but you 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 nailed. And, and you nailed it and you hit on a ton of good stuff. Just zooming out big picture. This is from Fred Katz. He tweeted this out today. Emmanuel quickly since February 16th, over the course of 16 games, 15 points, five rebounds, four assists. Um, that's in 25 minutes per game, shooting 48% from the field, 43% from three, 90% from the foul line. That's 66% true shooting. I mean, that is about as high level backup point guard play as you will ever find in the NBA. And, and, and to your point, I'll emphasize the point guard aspects of that because you can just look at that stat line and say like, all right, like, but like, but what is he? I mean, yeah, sure. The four assists are night over a, a starting role. That would translate, I don't know, to six or seven assists. But to me, like, again, that's where like watching the games uh, really comes into play and you just see the advancement. And this was something Zach Lowe pointed out in his column this week, but just the eye manipulation. Like I know a bunch of people were, were clipping this play, but it was very early. Um, I want to say it was in the in the Pistons game um, where he was – I'm trying to find – yeah, no, sorry, it was against the Heat. Um, he he just comes into the game, immediately draws two guys. Um, I fakes over to Fournier, pass fakes to Fournier. The entire defense shifts that direction, rapidly whips around, almost like a shortstop, and just redirects it to R.J. Barrett for a wide-open three. And I think we started seeing that from him in summer league a little bit. But it's really come into fruition as the shooting has come on because that's just given him this extra layer of leverage. And then he had another play um, against the Heat where he – I'm trying to remember 
exactly where it was in the game. I, I think I, I think I tweeted out. I'm pretty sure it was like late first quarter. So he um, he gets he he basically just toasts Kyle Lowry with a behind the back move, and he has a chance to just jack the three. And I think rookie Emmanuel quickly just fires up that three without a second thought. But instead, he hesitates for a sec. He freezes Dwayne Dedman, who's in drop, locks eyes with him, takes another step in. Dedman has to, again, stay frozen because quickly so deadly with that floater, and he can take the pull-up three. And instead, just a lob over the top to Mitchell Robinson. And it looks really easy, but you watch it a couple of times, and you're like, oh, he's doing five or six things in a matter of two seconds that get you to that play. And then to your point, down the stretch against the Miami Heat. I mean, this is, I, again, we, we can't talk about Emmanuel quickly as a star yet because it has to be over a larger sample size. It has to be over more minutes. It has to be during more meaningful basketball, to, to your point. But this is what you want out of a quote-unquote star. Like, you're down by 17 on the road, to your point, to, like, the tough guy team in the NBA, and he rips off a personal 8-0 run to start the quarter. And then the Heat punch back, and the Knicks very easily could have folded, I think, for most of the season with different guys in the game, they would have folded. Um, but instead he just makes these two fantastic plays with the shot clock dwindling. And, and this is where you really get to see some improvisation. He catches the ball just inside half court. This is like with three and a half seconds left. I think they were up by like two at this point. Um, he somehow turns that into like a running floater just inside the foul line to beat the buzzer has another one shot clock under three seconds, gets the ball from OB. It's basically like a bailout situation. Like typically he would take a step back three in that situation. Instead has this burst going to the rim, lefty running banker, just, just a nut shot. Like something that like, I don't know, like 12 guys on earth would hit that in that moment with any kind of consistency. Um, Had the steal and like the up and under layup to, to really help seal it, to put the Knicks up by eight with 139 to go. Um, I can go into more of his stuff against the Pistons. Like there was another play against the Pistons where he got a rebound and in one motion, just basically like, redirected it 60 feet up the court to Obi in stride for a dunk. Again, that's that's a high-level point guard pass. It's not a quote-unquote shooting guard pass. And it, it also emphasizes just how important his rebounding is because that's the kind of play you get to make when your guard is getting that rebound. If your big is getting that rebound and shuffling it over to a guard, that's not going to happen. But anyway, Stacey, I'm, I'm throwing a ton at you. Uh, we're running way long on this first segment. So we'll continue talking about Emmanuel quickly in just a sec. But I want to take a quick break. All right, guys, it's that time. Let's talk about Built Bar. This is the time of year I've pretty much given up on all my New Year's resolutions, but it's not going to happen in 2022. I'm sticking with my resolution to eat right thanks to Built Bar. It almost feels like it's not really a resolution because I actually enjoy eating them. Have you tried the Puffs? If you haven't, you're missing out on one of Built Bar's best-tasting bars. Puffs are the first ever protein-infused marshmallow. They're fluffy. They're marshmallowy. They're not just a protein bar. They're a treat. And they're covered in 100% real chocolate. Puffs are a fan favorite with some incredible flavors. They have yummy cinnamony churro, coconut marshmallow, banana cream pie. So, so good. They're going to be your new favorite. All Built Bars are covered in 100% real chocolate. That includes the Puffs, 100% real chocolate. They're low calorie. They're high protein. You can replace your candy bars with them because they're better. A typical candy bar can be anywhere from two to 300 calories. So go to Built.com and scroll down to the macros chart. You'll be blown away. High protein, low cal, high fiber, low carb. Most Built Bars contain 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, 4 net carbs, and 17 grams of protein. You can compare that to any candy bar. They'll usually have uh, about 100 more calories and about, I don't know, 7 times as much sugar. Mint brownie, coconut, coconut almond, and new for this month, white chocolate cookies and cream. They're all delicious, and new flavors are coming out all the time. 
If they think a flavor might be good, they'll make it. It will be delicious and it'll be good for you. At Built Bar, they're all about the taste. They make it delicious first, then figure out how to make it healthy. So go to Built.com, use promo code LOCK15 and get 15% off your order. Use promo code LOCK15 for 15% off at Built.com. Um, all right, with that, we are back on Locked On Knicks. Stacy, I just I just rambled for five or six minutes. I'll throw it back to you. We, we, let's keep let's keep going on, on Emmanuel quickly. Um, what did you see from him, like specifically in these two games that, that really wowed you? Because, because I'm with you. To me, this was almost another step forward, even given the qualifier that he's been playing great of late. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's a lot of stuff you talked about, right? Um, the the manipulation. Uh, he's. I mean, there's also things that he's been doing. He pushes the pace more than any other guard. Um, that's just been a fact. The few times Kemba looked good was when Kemba was pushing the pace. Uh, Alec Burks looked more functional. Um, but this team is just a team that um, they don't have great half-court creators, uh, and they thrive when they they get into their sets quickly. No pun intended. Um, and, you know, they don't have 16 seconds left on the shot clock. We made it. We made it, what? 15 minutes without a quickly plan. I think that's pretty good. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, no, I, I, I give both of us a lot of credit. <laughs> um, so that's number one. That's been something he's been doing all season. Um, what you really see now is he's he's leveraging his paint touches in a way that that that's the difference between this year and last year. Like he can get to the paint and once in a while he hits a floater or he can get a foul call. Um, but some of the foul calls are gimmicky. He's now drawing those fouls, but like it's not the things where like it's just jacking up a shot and like pulling the guy's arm or like, you know, I don't want to slander Trey Young or anything, but it can feel gimmicky. You're seeing well, him but, claim- but basically real quick to your point, like I think people underrate how much the rule changes affected him to start this year, because that was such a big part of his offense. Yeah. Um, but the clouds he's drawing now to me feel qualitatively different. Like yeah. he is claiming space and he's like, I'm going to shoot this and you're, you can't avoid fouling me because I have, cl- I have claimed this space. Right. You're not like I'm not flopping, I'm not flailing around, but I'm claiming space that I can use. And if you get out of the way, I'm gonna have a clean look. Uh, and that's why he hits a lot of those for and ones, right? I mean, he had one today, I think, against Detroit, um, where uh, you know he he did that and he he got the floater to go because of his body control and touch. Um, and because that's just not that awkward of a position for him to be in. That's something Harden, by the way, doesn't get a lot of credit for. It's like it's not just the fact that he's able to draw fouls, and some of it is kind of gimmicky stuff. But he also is able to hit shots from tough angles so that, like, he turns a lot of those in the and ones. Um, and then the other thing is, yeah, like, but so he's the foul drawing is now more impactful. He is slowly has the ability to, like, if you give me the layup, I'm going to take it. Maybe I'll get swatted. I'm not going to yam on dudes, but I will take that layup. Um, he has a more diverse passing array. He can make quick decisions. Um and then, like, yeah, like, and now you mix in the floater as kind of a complement to those things as opposed to the staple. And that's the real, that's been the biggest evolution for him. Uh, and then, so that's without even mentioning the manipulation stuff. But I think that's part of it because, um, you know, he can, because you know that there's so many different things he can do, he can use that to his advantage. And he's pushing all the right buttons. I think I had a GIF um, or GIF, whatever you prefer, um, of like, you know, someone saying, dance, puppet, dance. Uh, and that's exactly what what he was doing to, I mean, to Eric Spolster's defense, right? A defense that has caused the Knicks a lot of problem. And he did it against a diverse range of schemes. When they went zone, he was using his eyes, he was finding shooters, or he was getting to the paint when it was open. And when they were trapping, he was staying calm, using escape dribbles. Uh, things that he, he didn't do consistently last year, especially against this Heat team. Um, and then the last thing I'll say is kind of going back to the manipulation point. 
uh, he is now he is an active player. He's not he's not a the tips talks about read and react, but what really makes a special player is where you can kind of force the defense to to do what you want. Uh, I think there was a clip uh, that there was a clip from the game where Jericho Sims had a roll to the basket, but the Heat had kind of narrowed that angle. So there was an easy pass open for three, but IQ's like, no, I want to hit Sims. So he froze the help defender, I believe it was Jimmy Butler, by looking there, looked Jericho open, ends up in a dunk, right? Uh, and that's the difference between, um, you know, just a guy who makes the easy passes but isn't isn't really injecting creation into your offense. That's the difference between, um, you know, that's the difference between kind of a game manager point guard um, and, you know, the and, and a creator. Uh, it's kind of, I mean, I think the analogy works for quarterbacks too, right? Um, some quarterbacks, you know, if you give them the check down, they'll take it every time. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with that. But the, the special ones are the ones who are like, I have a tight window and either I can just fit it in there with a crazy pass or I can widen it just by holding you or making you have to worry about more things. And that's been the the revolution, the revelation with quickly is just because he can threaten the defense in so many ways, like literally in every other way, besides the one thing that for most guards is the most important, which is rim pressure. He can do everything else at such a high level that it makes you wonder, like, you know, even if he isn't finishing, um, you know, at the rim three, four, five times a game, since he can be functional as a creator without it, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe that's, that's still a, a pathway to being a high level starting above average starting point guard or, or two guard or whatever he is, but a creator, someone who could who can play that role on offense. Yeah. And I think, and this is my final point, and then we can, uh, we can move on to Obi Toppin maybe. Um, I think I'll give you credit for never wavering because I was, I think we had like a Twitter exchange about it at, at some point. Like I was kind of at a point where I was like this guy, like it was just, it was kind of heartbreaking to watch because this guy who's, I mean, his free throws indicated clearly such a talented shooter just could not hit a shot. And it's at, at one point, like I thought the swagger that just so defines his game started to droop a little. And you could tell like he just, he wasn't expecting it to go in. But maybe the right take on all that was, and I think this is where you were at at the time, was the fact that he's doing all this other stuff at such a high level without the shot is indicative of the fact that when the shot comes around and just like everything gets that much easier, it's it's like getting like an oxygen tank, like it, it just or, or leveling down, like everything opens up that much more, like his game was just going to explode. And I think that's what we've seen. And that's why it seems almost like disconcerting and almost hard to believe that it's real. It's because he already improved so much at these things, but now that the shot is really dropping, all those things become that much easier, and he can do them that much more consistently. Um, but let's let's get into Obi a little bit because I thought he was also great against the Heat. Obviously, um, the last game that he had before Julius Randle came back, but he had uh, what was it, thirteen points in the third quarter, and I just I I mean it's it's all the things that you continue to expect out of him just running the floor hard, like getting early seals, like Evan Fournier hit him a couple of times and like really nice outlet passes. And he was finishing through traffic. Um, he even had a pump fake two dribble pull up jumper against the heat. That's blew my mind a little bit because we saw, we saw tiny bits of that in summer league and maybe once or twice previously this season, but it's been so few and far between. And then of course the next game, Julius comes back. Obi still, he had some, some good moments against the Pistons. Um, but it was, again, like he lost, I think, a little bit of that rhythm, a little bit of that confidence. 
Um, and the, I, I guess it's sort of the same story with him as always, because there was a play against the Pistons where the Knicks had this fantastic possession. It was like swing, 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 ended up with OB wide open in the right corner. He didn't take the shot and it resulted in a turnover. And like against the heat, there were a couple of times he did similar stuff, but he was able to turn into something else. Like whether it was like a pump into a shot or a pump into a drive or a pump into the next pass. But eventually like that shot is going to have to drop, not at a great rate, but maybe just 33 34%. And, and he's going to have to be willing to take it, I think, for him to be the guy and the reliable guy that we all want him to be. And maybe the bigger picture version of that is if you want to justify trading Julius Randle this offseason and making Obi Toppin your starting power forward, I think it has to come with the confidence that that shot is going to fall. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's tough, right? Because I don't think there's any real issues with his form. Um, I don't know what he's shooting from free throw. Um, you know, in college, nine percent three point shooter, but it wasn't on a very high volume. Um, and yeah, so he's he's at seventy five percent last year's at seventy three percent from free throw. Yeah, I wasn't the, someone who bought him as like like I think everyone's like he's a three level scorer. I was like, I'm not quite sure I'm there. I thought he could be the kind of guy who could hit hit an open three, but not take like pull ups and those kind of things or or movement shooting. Um, but you know, he's he's back up. He's at twenty five percent this year. Um, I think it's worth noting, right? When you are when your minutes are so short and you do kind of have sporadic minutes and you know you're you're kind of have a short leash. And this is not to hate on Tibbs. Uh, I do think Obi deserves a long leash, but it's it's not the the point of this conversation isn't that. But if you're judging his shooting, I think that has to be uh, taken into account because last game he actually had a pretty wow moment where he got the ball in the corner, pump faked. Um, and then, like from like a full sprint, stopped on a dime, pull pull up from like maybe 16, 18 feet, and nothing. Like it, it's a pretty shot when he when he makes it in, right? Um, he get, puts a lot of arc on it. Um, you know, he's not he's not a call fluid, but it is like it, the motion isn't. There's no real hitch. Um, you know, like it's a little bit mechanical, but it, it's fine as, as a as a shot. Um, that said, like, what does he have to shoot? It's it's a complicated thing. Number one, I think that he's he's a, he's a weird player on defense because I think he's actually pretty good at rim protection. If you could just ask him to go up, you know, he's very long. I think he's like a 7'2 wingspan. Obviously, he has the athleticism. Um, he's a pretty smart player on defense. But you ask him to guard in space, particularly on pick and rolls, and then that's not great, right? So he's yeah. on defense, you'd like him to be a four. Um, but on offense... Uh, you know, he's probably, you don't want him. He's not, he's not an ideal floor spacer, right? Um, you'd like it. So I think I agree that you'd like him to get up to at least 33, 35% where defenses don't want to leave him wide open. Um, to his credit, I don't think, I, I think that he, people still, uh, like he had one against the heat where they did close out and he turned that into a drive. And because he's so quick yeah. uh, and he's so good at like just finishing in traffic and the body control and all of that, he can still attack. And I think like one interesting case is like if you move as well without the ball and you can pass really well and screen and all of those things, how like how much does that mitigate when you're talking about spacing and creating for the offense? How much does that mitigate a lack of a jump shot uh, if you use those guys creatively? I think that's worth the question worth asking. Um, so so the, the the two main things are yeah how much how much and I'll, I'll ask you also how much do you think. So it's one, like, do you think that those things can mitigate? Because he does everything else at a high level. Um, And there's so many things that don't show up in the box score. There's so many times in clips where 
you see the Knicks get like a wide open three in transition or someone gets a free dr drive. And then you're like, oh yeah, the defense was worried about Obi because he like did zero to 60 in three seconds and, and was just beat everyone down court and they had to panic and they were scrambling. Right. Uh, on offense in the half court, he moves very well without the ball. He's a, he, he's a smart passer. He's a quick decision maker. The Knicks, by the way, do, do lack, especially in the starting lineup, connective passers who just keep the ball moving, move without yeah. the ball, make quick decisions. That's something quickly Obi, Grimes, like all the second unit guys are much better at. Deuce in particular has been good at that the last few games. Exactly. That's And that's why Deuce has been able to remain productive despite not getting, I mean, he is a point guard by background. Yeah. Um, so how much does that mitigate the spacing? I'll ask that to you. And then the other thing I'll ask is um, how much do you think that because like Deuce was a was a forty percent shooter in college from three, excellent shooter in the G League. He's got a great pull up. We know his form is good. When he's gotten minutes, he's had some really good shooting performances. But even he has, you know, I think he's shooting something in the twenties from three. And a lot of that I think is because he gets attempts in like a five minute stretch, right? And you know he's coming right out. Um, do you think like that, that is a mitigating factor in all when judging Ob shooting? I want to answer both of those. I want to first take a second to talk about NBA Top Shot, but then we'll come back. We'll finish up on Obi Toppin. We'll talk Deuce McBride and get into all the other fantastic Knicks performances over these two wins next on Locked on Knicks. All right, guys, it's that time once again. Uh, let's talk about one of our favorite sponsors in NBA Top Shot. NBA Top Shot's the officially licensed NFT of the NBA. You can connect with a community of hundreds of thousands of NBA fans as a natural progression of fantasy sports, a way to upgrade your experience as an NBA fan. This is the future of what being an NBA fan looks like. It's part trading cards. Every moment on Top Shot originates in a pack. So unlike trading cards, these aren't still images on card cardboard. They are officially licensed NFTs of the greatest moments from NBA history. Akin to the stock market for the NBA, every day millions of dollars worth of NFTs are traded back and forth between tens of thousands of NBA fans around the world. There's also a fantasy sports element in that every night you have the ability to capitalize in the markets if you're able to predict the top performers. And they also have an, it's also functionally an airline loyalty program for the NBA. There's, there's nothing like that out there. I can tell you that much. Uh, Top Shot flew collectors out to game five of the NBA finals based on having Suns moments. They flew people out to the NBA draft based on having rookie moments. Those people got to have dinner with first round picks that were drafted. They got to play basketball with Tyrese Halliburton. Someone you might know pretty well, Obi Toppin. Um, I hear people ask all the time, why would I buy a highlight when I can watch it on YouTube for free? Not just about watching a highlight. It's about having ownership stake in what's akin to a stock market for the NBA's greatest moments and highlights. So challenges are the best way to earn exclusive moment NFT rewards. Complete challenges to unlock moment NFTs. You can treat Top Shot like the best of daily fantasy sports. Top Shot's moments can get you access to events and can be used in fantasy minigames on a regular basis. NBA Top Shot is the future of being an NBA fan. So own officially licensed rare NFTs of the greatest moments from NBA history. Sign up today at LockedOn.NBATopShot.com. That's LockedOn.NBATopShot.com. And we also wanted to remind you guys that this episode is brought to you by Rock Auto. With the ever-increasing number of makes and models, it's now impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts you need. Why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questioning and wait while the person behind the counter orders the parts on their computer, choosing the only brand their warehouse happens to carry? You have computers with access to rockauto.com at home and literally in your pocket. So you save time and money when using Rock Auto. Why choose to spend 30%, 50%, even 100% more from the same parts from a chain store or car dealership? Plus, Rock Auto is a family business serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years. 
Rock Auto prices are reliably low for every single customer. Save everything you could possibly need from brake parts to tail lamps to motor oil and even new carpet. So go explore their easy-to-use website today to find the solution to your auto part needs. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Write Lockdown in there. How did you hear about us, Fox? So they know that we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com. All right, we are back on Locked On Knicks with the fantastic Stacey Patton of both Pod Strickland and the Believe Knicks podcast, co-hosted with Matthew Miranda. Um, yeah, so we were we were going to get into it a little bit on OB and how much his off-ball movement mitigates his lack of shooting. And I think it's a fantastic point. It's something that I've been talking about all year. And you can just, I, I think it almost stands out more in contrast to Randall, right, who so often is just static and wants everything to be at his pace in his time. And it, I mean, there's no other word for it to me. Like, again, purely in a basketball sense, it feels selfish. And to me, like, Obi is the epitome of an unselfish basketball player. And I think you nailed it with how he runs in transition and how that opens up threes for other guys. A lot of times it's just him cutting off the ball and you'll see this cascading effect of help defense that generates open looks for other people. And it's, again, if, if he cuts to the rim, and he would have had an open dunk, but someone had to help off the corner. And then the ball gets kicked to the corner, and that person hits an open three. To me, that's essentially the same thing as Obi Toppin hitting an open three. Of course, it's not exactly the same thing because then on ensuing possessions, he might not get that same respect. But you can also argue you, he has to because he's going to be able to keep making that cut. And you can't totally play off of him. And I love the way like him and IQ, I mean, it's almost like what Draymond and Steph do, right? Like when, when Draymond is in guard, he's saying, great, I'm going to go screen for the, the greatest shooter to ever walk this earth. And he's going to bomb open threes in your face. And we had a couple plays like that. I mean, I know there was one against the Heat in particular where, where IQ threw it into Obi. Um, Obi like, um, like half ducked towards the rim, drew like a, a soft double team. And IQ who's getting, I mean, this was one thing we, we didn't talk about. Like I, I think his, his off ball stuff has gotten better and better and better. And he's so conscientious again, to your point about like playing defenses, like a puppet with how he moves off ball and what he does with his eyes. He just popped right out. Obi shuffled in the ball and he hit an open three. And it, I, when the Knicks have excelled over these last couple of games, Sands, Julius Randall, to me, it's about all the stuff to your point that just does not end up in the box score with Obi, but like the two man game with him and Fournier that again, with Julius is so like, monotone and predictable and it works at times because Julius is really skilled and Fournier is just a fantastic shooter who can hit fadeaways from 23 24 feet out with guys in his face but then I see him and Obi and they do those same sort of dances and they're getting layups because that's what Obi's aspiring to do and, and, and Stacy, when you when you bounce back on this you can you can incorporate Julius into this point because I thought it was it was interesting watching him in his return against the Pistons and in my mind like the the thing I was looking for all game I was like all right, how much self-awareness is there with Julius Randle, right? In, in a season where maybe there hasn't been a ton of it. Like, he's, he, he just watched what Obi was doing the last three, four games. He sees the Knicks operating on such a high level like that. Wouldn't he want to come in and replicate it? And the point that I've been making all year is, like, if Julius just played like Obi, he could do all the same stuff. I mean, not not obviously, like, the, the finishing on lobs, but a lot of the same stuff and do it at a higher level and add in more creativity. Like, he, he would be picture perfect for what the Knicks are trying to do if he just cut out, like, the, the crappy like step back ISO jumpers that he has to take six or seven times a game. And it was this, this really mixed bag from Julius where there were a lot of like those aforementioned ISOs. And there were plays like where he was like spraying the ball out to shooters on the short roll where I'm like, yeah, that's like, I mean, that, that's what I love about Obi. Like when Obi gets going, but Julius, because he just has that extra bit of gravity can do it at such a high level. 
And it's just this this interesting contrast between the two. And I think so much of the difference between the two and their effectiveness, and it's the same like when you compare Deuce McBride to like, not to take a shot at Alec Burks, who had an amazing game against the Pistons and won them the game with the steal, but there's such a mentality shift with the younger guys. And, And to me, to your point, that compensates for any lack of skill or talent relative to the guys that Tibbs has been going with all year. Yeah, and I mean, and I think they all bring certain talent, which is there. There's there's just more athleticism and foot speed on the perimeter for those younger guys. Yeah. Real quick on Alec Burks. Um, so I think that I've been very critical of the decision to start Alec Burks at point guard. So let me reiterate: I think he's a very good player. I think it would actually be a shame if the Knicks. You know, a lot of people are saying the front office needs to save tips for himself by taking away his vets. It would actually be a shame if they had to dump him, um, just to get rid of him because he's a valuable player. He's a good off ball player. Uh, and he's good at defending big wings. Who did he have the def- – the, if you looked at the first half, right, he struggled very much against Corey Joseph to, to keep him out of the paint. But when he was playing with Quickly, Quickly took the ball handler. That allowed him – I think they played Hayes at the end, so he's a little bit bigger, but that allowed him to guard uh, Cade. And partly because he's he's got a couple of tricks up his sleeve that obviously Cade's a rookie and, and is still adjusting to, but also because Cade doesn't really have that foot speed advantage of him that's where Alec Burks can really use his tools. Right. Um, so I think that, yeah, I think you know, I don't want to take, like, it sucks that we have to take shots at Burks when you're talking about the lineups, because he, he definitely is a positive player for this Nick when he's used properly. Yeah. Um, like, sorry, so I'm going a bit on a tangent, but if you think about all of the tweets that are like, IQ is a nice guard off the bench. He's a combo guard. Right. Um, and then, you know, like, but he can't, you know, he can't defend the point of attack players or, He's not a great defender at, at, at that level. Um, or, you know, he can't get to the rim. If you replace Alec Burks, if you replace Emmanuel Quickly's name with Alec Burks and all of those tweets, they actually make sense at that point, right? Because all of those things are what apply to him. And then it's like, let him be a good good bench guard, like don't have unreasonable expectations. I think that's what applies to Burks. Going back to, to Obi, though, um, yeah, I mean, it's tough. I've tried to lay off Randall because uh, he's obviously caught a lot of heat. There were just uh, there were a couple of just atrocious possessions uh, in the first half, especially. I think in the second half he's a little bit better. Uh, I think Tibbs maybe went in on him in halftime, um, but I did see a little bit more of that self awareness. Um, and then you know when every time I started to think that he would get back cut by Marvin Bagley or something, right? Uh, yeah. I think that one dunk was just. Uh, it's not the fact that he got dunked on. It's just at that point in the game to get caught ball watching. Uh, as a as a veteran player, it's just inexcusable, and it's not an isolated incident. I think the play that was just most damning is, you know, there was there was a play where um, I forget he he got he had a turnover, um, or the or he got blocked. Oh and, yeah, where, where Kate where Kate blocked him. Yeah, yeah, Kate blocked him. They get the Pistons end up in transition. Quickly makes a hell of a play getting back. That, that's what I thought of when you talked about his verticality. I was like, yeah, he just he just did it. And then so Randall jogging back on defense as he's wont to do mm. actually worked out because now he has an open layup. Blew the layup, once again jogs back on defense, Pistons. And that was just like, come on, man, <laughs> right? Like you talk about a guy could have one good play and make nine or ten bad plays, right? That's what Tibbs said. It's like it's what we're seeing right here, right? Yeah. Uh, now to, to Randall's credit, he had a big step back through at the end. He mm. made, you know, he his talent is without question. And I don't think, like, if you watch Obi the way he runs the floor, it's not just abnormal for this team or compared to Randall. He probably runs the floor harder than any other player in the NBA. Yeah. Um, he he looks like, I mean, I think Dallas Amigo had a clip a couple of times where he's just like, 
He ran like full speed on offense. They missed the shot, runs all the way back. He just three or four times full speed, doesn't even get the ball. And it's like, it's almost like watching Forrest Gump, right? Um, but, um, but yeah, it, it does. I mean, no one's asking Randall to do that. But if you get, if you don't jog back, you shouldn't be getting beat down the floor by Isaiah Stewart. Okay. Um, you shouldn't, you know, if it's one thing, it's if you have a, you just out athleted or whatever. But that's not what's happening. You eat, like, don't jog back. And, I think it's worth noting somebody, you know, somebody put a picture up, right? He's like, lots of coaches play their big players um, heavy minutes, right? And it's like guys, the lead leaders in, in minutes played per game. And that list had a lot of the top players on teams. What problem was most of them were guards or wings who weigh about 40 pounds less than Randall, at least. There was one other player who is like comparable size to Randall um, that was in that list. Um, and... I don't think that's an accurate comparison because that player is the second best player of all time. And it's a freak of nature who takes care of himself like that. And also LeBron's only played 54 games, right? So I think it comes back to, it's not about being minutes police, but you'll notice Jokic isn't on that list. You'll notice um, Embiid isn't on that list, even though those are clearly the best players in their teams. Why is that? Because yeah, what at us like at that level, it's tough to play hard for 36 minutes. And I think that is at least a little bit of a mitigating factor beyond just Julius's attitude. And you know, he shouldn't be getting 36 minutes a night uh, at that size. If you get him down to 30, that opens up 18 for Obi. Uh, Obi's averaging like 16 minutes a game, but you know, Randall has missed some time. You know, it, there's a little bit of overlap, but you can easily get Obi five to ten more minutes a game, and it would probably help Randall. Um, you know, he's not going to run the floor the same way. He'll probably have a couple of possessions that make you upset, but he's probably not going to jog back on defense as much. He's probably not going to have that same energy as well. So I think that's worth keeping in mind. The last thing I'll say is coming back on Obi. Um, I think he's a valuable player. I think if he was in a, in a featured role, you'd probably need to tailor your personnel a little bit around him. You'd probably want him next to a stretch five. Yeah. Um, but you know, he can, but he, he's played mostly with non shooting centers and his on off numbers have consistently been great. So I don't know that how much that really hurts, but it's fair to say, can, does that mean he's a starting forward? Um, you know, I think the John Collins path is the most optimistic one, but Collins is a 40% shooter. And, and at this point, it's, it's tough to, even if you think that his rhythm has been thrown off with the minutes jerking, it's tough to really make a strong case. But the, the other thing worth considering is, you know, given where the Knicks are picking in the draft at 12. Um, there are going to be a lot of these three slash four type wings who aren't like, if you think about guys like Terry Eason, um, you know, um, Jeremy Soshan, who are not particularly convincing shooters, but are great athletes yeah. and kind of the same mill as Obi. That makes it tough, right? Because if you have Randall, you have Obi, and now you have that other guy who you're going to want to pr- prioritize, or even if it's a guy like Keegan Murray, who's a much better shooter than Obi, but also is probably a four, that's where things start to get a little dicey for his future. But it'll be interesting to see him grow and. I think no matter what, I don't think you're ever going to have to question the guy's work ethic or the fact that he will get everything out of his own ability, whatever that is, um, going forward. Yeah, I mean, I, we, we talked about this when we had uh, Benji and Prez on, and we did uh, this this like series on like skill development. It's like it's part of the question with like Obi, like is he worth dictating around to make him as effective as possible? But I think I think you've done a great job in this podcast outlining like you like one like he doesn't necessarily have to make a huge jump as a shooter or or in terms of the personnel around him to still have a positive impact because he does all these like niche skills 
at levels that are rare or like in the case of his running the floor, like maybe otherwise unseen in the NBA. And he has a lot of value that way. Um, I think the offseason question is a great one. The draft part specifically. Um, and we, we can only find out on that because it's, it's a very big topic. But all right, guys, uh, we decided to actually break this up into a two parter because uh, me and Stacy just kept talking, kept talking. And all of a sudden looked at the clock and we were over an hour. So in part two of this podcast, we're going to go deep on the rookies, Miles McBride, Jericho Sims, and Quentin Grimes, both their performances last two games, but also what to expect out of those guys in the future and how what we've seen from them so far, while positive and a whole lot of fun, is only scratching the surface of what they can eventually be. But until next time, be good. Uh, tune in for plenty more episodes this week. Remember to subscribe. Remember to like. Remember to comment. Uh, remember to leave us five stars on iTunes. But until I talk to you next, be good. Peace out.